podcast. The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Now, Father God, we acknowledge and surrender our hearts before you in faith. We realize that you are here. You have promised to be here. Jesus, two or three have gathered together in your name to worship you, to hear from you, to study your word, and to obey. So help us toward that end, Father, not just to know it, Not just to understand it, not just to memorize it, but to actually do it. In Christ's name, amen. I recently read a feel-good news story, and when one of those comes around, you pay attention these days, amen? And uh, I was reading about a millionaire philanthropist. His name's uh, Eugene Lang. You might have heard about him. He started out with nothing, but worked very hard, made some wise investments, and uh, became wealthy. He gave $150 million away to charitable causes over the course of a very long life. But out of all his generosity, really, he's remembered for one kind gesture. Back in the 80s, he was asked to speak to an inner city school there in East Harlem, one of the poorest in the nation. And uh, before he walked in the classroom, he was accompanied by the superintendent, and he whispered to him, how many of these kids are actually going to make it through high school? And he said, to be honest with you, one or two. And then he said, and so how many of these kids that I'm looking at are going to go to college? He said, probably none. Maybe, like I said, maybe a couple. And that just uh, really hit him hard. And so he walked into the classroom and he walked by the trash can and he tossed in his notes, his prepared notes, went up to the lectern and here's what he said. He said, look, everybody, listen up. I want to do something different this morning. Stay in school and I will give you all scholarships. As long as you're in school, I'll be there to help you financially. Well, there were, yeah, gasps. I mean, some of these folks over here wish they could have been there. (laughs) Is he still around? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so some chuckles and then really a stunned silence as they just uh, took it all in. Now, looking back on that moment, the superintendent that was there comments and is quoted in the article. I'll read you his remarks. At that moment, the lives of these students were changed. For the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to now. 
something waiting for me, rooting me on against all odds. It was a golden feeling. Well, it's a, a good feel, good uh, story here because, and it feels good because 90% of the class graduated from high school. Yeah. And two thirds of them went on to do some college work. And so praise the Lord. What, now listen, what a difference. One promise, one promise, a little faith and a little hope working together. Faith and hope always work together to achieve such a changed outlook and such an amazing accomplishment because of one promise by one man. Now, how much more amazing if we have a promise, not from a guy, but from a God who created heaven and earth. And he didn't say, if you stay in school, I'll cover your tuition. He said, if you simply trust me, if you simply just come to me, you're a mess, you're broken, you're needy, and you want forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life, I'll give it to you. As long as you work at it, as long as you're good, as long as you trust me. So this, my friends, of course, is the theme of the book of Romans. And, uh, we know that because in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, he has a thesis statement that says, let me tell you about the gospel of God, the good news gospel of God. This news that didn't come from any philanthropist or benefactor on earth, but it comes from God Almighty who spoke in the universe, as I like to say, leapt into existence from his mouth, from his heart. He makes a promise to the whole world, whoever you are, to all of humanity, and here's the gospel. Whatever kind of sinner you are, because he says all of you have fallen short, there's nobody good enough, no, not one, everybody falls uh, below the standard, but he says to those who, uh, whoever you are, either you're a, a, a nice sinner, a morally inclined sinner, a religious sinner, you know, a, a, someone who does good deeds sinner, you know, uh, whatever sinner you are, comparatively speaking, you're still got a sin problem and the wages of sin is death. And I can help you out, but I've come down and I paid the wages. That's the whole point of being on the cross as the God-man. Your personal stand-in for whosoever. And the only thing you have to worry about is, are you a whosoever? <laughs> Ask yourself that right now. Am I a whosoever? <laughs> What's the answer to that? Yes. Guess what? I got some good news. You qualify. <laughs> are you qualified to be reconciled to God to be co-heirs with the Son of God, to reign and rule with God forever, and according to the Bible, to share the throne of God in his future administration. For what? For being a good kid, for staying in school, for being nice, for giving the shirt off your back, for towing that line? For nothing. Nothing but trust. You are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, and by Christ alone, period. That's the gospel, and that's Romans 1 through 3. 
Now in four, he just wants to say, can we talk about what puts us right with God, this faith? He just says, simply believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him. Can we talk about that? Because it sounds like that's the one qualifier. So if that's the one qualifier to put us right with Almighty God, forgive all of our sins, get us through the gates of heaven, and escape the wrath and judgment of God, and there's only one way to get there and do that, and it's through this faith, well, let's take a chapter and examine what that faith, genuine faith, saving faith, really is, because there's a lot of weird ideas out there. So believe it or not, 2,000 years before the gospel comes, 2,000 years before Christ appears, there's this man named Abraham. And he goes to Abraham and he says, you know what? God has, is, holds up Abraham as the first true believer. He's the first real Christian because he believes, the Bible will say, he believes the gospel, though it's kind of in an embryonic form. God gives him a promise about the future, about one coming to bless the whole world, and he believed it. And he got saved. So he said, anybody who wants to be in heaven has to have the kind of faith that Abraham had. So now he wants to make sure you know what kind of faith Abraham had so that you can take your place with God's people on that great day at the celebration that's already ordained to take place one day soon. So let's take a look at this faith, starting at verse 17 now. As it's written, and here's where it's written, in Genesis 17, verse 5, speaking to Abraham and the promise that, put, that Abraham believed that put him right. He says, I have made you a father of many nations. So then, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who, and this is key, this is who we, who we believe in. That's why we can have faith in the impossible. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said uh, to him in Genesis Chapter 15 and verse 5. So shall your offspring be. He took him outside, said, count the stars. You're going to have this many descendants. If you can count the stars, then you'll be able to count your uh, descendants. And that when he's almost 100 years old and his wife couldn't have kids. And on top of that, she was 90. But that's what he's telling him. He's saying, that's okay, you're dealing with me. And I'm pretty good at bringing things to pass that don't even exist. So... He, so, so Abraham believed him. Now, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, or I like to say he faithed the fact. Faith, faith in God. Okay, never mind. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding this promise of God, but... Instead of going down the despair and the doubt and the oy vey, I'm 100 years old. And instead of all of that, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And here's the key. Being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promises. 
This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. This is why God put him right with himself. That's what this means. The words, it was credited to him, it was given freely to him, it was put into his account, were written not for him alone. This isn't just how some old dude in the uh, Old Testament gets saved, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness. He will gift us being right with him for us who believe, like Abraham. That's what all Abraham did. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, God the Father. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, justification, our acquittal, our pardon, our just as if I never sinned. That's what that word means. To be able to declare somebody who's guilty, not guilty. Why? Because someone stood in for you. Someone took all of your sins on him, paid the price that you deserved to pay, died, and then rose again on your behalf. That's why he can say, not guilty to a guilty person because those sins are paid for. Now, thank you for those. Let's get situated now and wrap uh, our thoughts around the following here. So now, uh, as I said, it's not just about some man who lived 2,000 years ago. The reason to pay attention, of course, my friends, is that the gospel, the Bible, is saying, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to escape the wrath of God, the judgment of God that's coming upon the whole world? Well, then you got to believe like this man believed. So he's sort of the litmus test, isn't he? You know, a lot of Christians say, well, do I have the real thing? Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about faith. And so it's really the point of this is to really compare our behavior and our so-called faith to the faith of this man, Abraham. And there's a whole lot to talk about here. And it's so important to get clear now the quality of his faith as it manifests in his heart. Because if you have saving faith, you can see it by the way a person lives and reacts to the promises of God. So let's talk about saving faith before we dive in here. And it's really important because a lot of people have different ideas about what faith is. There's the first idea, intellectual assent. I've talked about this a lot. Um, Intellectual assent. You can believe that there is a God that there is this God, the God of the Bible, that the, you can believe that the Bible is true. You can believe that Jesus lived in all of this. That is not what the Bible means by saving faith is intellect alone. Let me give you an example. I worked for, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years at a vocational college in the Bay Area. And I was a general ed instructor during one of my classes, language and culture, that I taught there. Uh, during the section on religion, I asked the question, hey, if you believe in God, raise your hand. And the class is mostly guys. And most of the guys raised their hand. Now I said, I want you to think about something. I want to ask you a few questions. Now, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Is Jesus Lord? Do you live to please him? Do you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? 
Uh, do you ab abstain from sexual immorality, or at least try to, or at least agree that that's not the way I should live with the ladies because I'm a Christian and I believe in God and Christians don't do that? Is this the kind of thing, how many of you, because uh, that's what it means to believe in God. We don't do those things to become Christians. We do those things as evidence that we've had this encounter with Christ. So let me ask you again. How many of you believe in God? One hand. Why not? Always. I did this for eight years. One, two hands at the most. So you know, there's a vast misunderstanding about what it means to have faith in God, and thus we're going to dive in and, and do a little research here. Is it emotional confidence? I heard a lady speaking, overheard her at a coffee shop, and God bless her, my heart went out. She's talking about a lost family pet, and we've lost family pets, and I'm just I, I said a quick little prayer. I mean, that's what I do when I hear stuff like that. And she says to somebody else, well, I, and they were missing a long time. But she says, I have faith they're going to show up again. And then I wanted to say, who's the, who, who do you have faith in? What power is the faith connected to? Do you have faith in God that the pet's going to come back? Do you have faith? You just have faith for the sake of having faith. If we have positive thoughts, that faith in itself is a power in the world's thinking. And so that's why you have faith for the sake of faith. So, for example, you hear and see bumper stickers all the time. Just believe. And celebrities who get up and, 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 and uh, accept awards and give advice. I just never stop believing. I just keep the faith, everybody. So it's not tied to anything. And I'm certainly not making fun of it. I'm just pointing out that there are so many people in this world that just think that the force of intense belief that something is going to happen is a power in itself. And that's not what it means to have faith. And then, you know, lastly, I'm thinking about the devil. In the book of James, it says, guess what, folks? Guess who believes in God? The devil. And he's not taking his seat at the table prepared for the people of God. So we got to know what real faith is. I've got the scripture, the quintessential definition Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. In other words, and it's more than that, but that's a good starting point. Saying, listen, we have conscience that tells us right from wrong and that, that we've been fathered. The conscience tells us that. We have creation that has the fingerprints of God all over it. Design, intelligence, purpose, as crazy as it is, fallen as it is, we still see. But when you come down to it, you cannot put God under a microscope. And for that reason, faith is accepting what you cannot empirically prove. You can deduce, and we have, and we do. But you have to, at some point, say he's invisible, the promises are invisible, and I put my full trust in him. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes in, 
And we know, we just know, because when we believe, we see, right? A lot of people say, I want to see to believe, and that's never going to happen. You come to him in faith, then you see, right? So thank you for that. We're going to dive in now. There are two thoughts in that paragraph that I read. Two things that if you have genuine faith, you'll do. Abraham A., he hoped against hope, and B, he didn't waver in his faith. And so what's looking at you right now is point one, genuine faith hopes against hope. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, you know, maybe you're saying, look, I, I, I've, been in, uh, I've been a Christian for many years. I put my faith in the Lord. I understand this. This really isn't uh, anything new. The faith that enables you to be saved is the same faith that enables you to be blessed, to have prayers answered, to be effective and productive. That needs to be strengthened. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, hey, the Thessalonians, however you want to pronounce it, uh, that, they, that he was thankful that they were growing in faith more and more, you see? So you never stop growing in faith. So we dive in here into point one, that genuine faith is going to cause you to hope against all hope. What does that mean? Well, you hope in God when there's no human grounds to hope. So when there's no human grounds to hope, real faith says, that's okay, I'm dealing with God who works the impossible, so I'm allowed to hope. But I'm hoping against all hope because my hope is in God, not in the impossible situation. Now, verse 17 opens, I've made you the father of many nations. And Paul is going to tell us that that, he, he made Abraham the father of the nation of Israel, but in a spiritual sense, because he believed the gospel in its uh, seed form, he becomes, spiritually speaking, the father of many nations. So Paul is going to tell us that not only is the father of the Jews, but he's a, a, he is the father, spiritually speaking, of every single person who's ever believed and winds up in heaven. They're all sort of his children because to be his child is to act like him. So if you believed like he believed and lived like he believed and obeyed God out of faith, like he obeyed God out of faith, then God says, you know what? You look like someone. <laughs> you look like something to me, someone. Your father, Abraham, he's the first believer. Let's kind of get it straight where it says, I've made you the father of many nations. And let's explain it. He is our father. Speaking of Roman Christians, so they're mostly Gentiles. But he's saying this Jewish progenitor of the Jewish people is actually the father of all believers, all Christians, no matter what nation you may be from. Let me, let me clear this up. Christians are always scratching their heads about Jewishness and Abraham and how are we connected to Abraham. It's very easy. Here's the chart. God found Abraham. He said, through you, I'm going to start my plan to make a single nation. And they're called Hebrews. And they are the Jewish people. And so from Abraham, even though he can't have children and she can't have children, they believe God 
and now they have Isaac. And now Isaac is also a believer. Isaac marries Rebecca and has Jacob. And then Jacob has a dysfunctional family <laughs> and then pro produces through baby wars, um, produces 12 sons. Now get this. The 12 sons are children of Jacob. Jacob gets a name change to Israel. So they are the descendants or the children of Israel. And so everybody who is biologically related to these people are called children of this guy, Israel. That's where you get the understanding that the sense, the, the, the couple senses that Abraham is a father. He is a father to the Jewish people because they can trace their biological uh, heredity to the person of Abraham. Now, he is also, this is our proof text. You can go back to the text, actually. This is our text that justifies why Gentile children in a Sunday school class can be marching around singing, Father Abraham had many sons. Go ahead. Many sons said, Father Abraham. Even though you're Gentile. And let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. That's where it stops, people. Now... I'm from the disco era, so my right arm was right arm, right arm. So a Jew walks by and sees a bunch of goyim. Goyim is Hebrew for Gentiles, and Gentile means nations. It just means you're not Jewish. Sees them singing, Father Abraham had many sons, and guess what? I'm one of them, and so are you, 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 and you, because we believe in Jesus. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. <laughs> and what does he say? He says, oy vey, right? Now, let me, let me explain it to you this way. Three Jews and two Gentiles walk into a restaurant. <laughs> As they did on Thursday night in Grayton, when I, one of the Jews, was out with two of my Gentile Goyim friends. Now, you know, we're seated there, and you know, the seats are so close. You know, it was like, I'm serious, right there. The waitress seats a, a nice couple with a very thick Hebrew accent. I didn't hear it right away, but they sat down, and I said, well, hello, and I turned to my Gentile friends, and I said, oh, my word, my father, that's my father. I mean, computer age my face, dude. That's a Jew, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I say to him, shalom. And he says to me, how did you know? And I said, we can hide the Moses, we can't hide the noses. I'm sorry. I expected him to say, you know, you should talk. He was nice. And so I, I said, well, since we're seated at the same table, might as well get to know each other. You know, they didn't look that happy with that. But anyway, I continued. I said, you know, hey, I'm from New York. He's Jewish, you know, you know. 
I want to talk to you. And I, I said, I'm from New York. My dad's from Brooklyn. My grandmother was born in Poland. I'm Ashkenazi. He says, so am I. My grandparents were born in, in uh, Krakow, you know, and all of that stuff. And so, and then he asked me, what's your last name? And I said, Reinman. And he nodded approvingly, like, I, like I've passed the first test. <laughs> And then I knew time has come to burst his bubble <laughs> and out myself for the Christian pastor that I am. So I said, hey, yeah, funny thing, funny thing. <laughs> my, my Jewish Brooklyn-born father uh, read Isaiah 53 and became a Christian and then, then had a domino effect. And so I became a Christian. And now I'm a Christian pastor. I'm a Christian Jewish pastor. The wife looked like she'd just gonna choke on something. <laughs> and he rolled his eyes, kind of scooted away, and said, oy vey. <laughs> and here was his parting shot to me. His parting shot, there always is one. He, he goes, well, Jesus. He goes, he was, a, he was a good Jewish man. And I said, because you're not gonna take a parting shot at me without me taking a parting <laughs> shot at you. <laughs> He was a good Jewish man. Like, we're claiming him, and you Gentiles don't even know, or you traitor Jews don't even understand. He was a Jew. And I said, yeah, he was a good Jew because he was a good God. Because he was God, you know. <laughs> so here's who's at the table. Here's who's at the table. You have two descendants of Abraham. They're biologically descendants of Abraham. You have one descendant of Abraham and one child of Abraham. And you have two Gentile children of Abraham and are more distinctly related to Abraham and to God and to Christ than the two physical descendants. Because without being born again, it does not matter if you are biologically related to Jesus, you have to be born again. And you have to be related to Abraham the way Abraham behaved. Amen? Amen. You get that? All right. So what about this hoping when there's no hope? Well, that's, of course, what we do. Let me show you. He says, let me show you the quality of faith that comes to you. Uh, because the power isn't in the faith alone. It comes from who the faith connects you to. And this is going to clear up a lot. In verse 17, it's put three different ways, three different translations for you. I've prepared. Uh, God, he has faith. Abraham believed God. God told him, look, I know it looks impossible. You're 100. She's 90. She couldn't have kids when she was younger. But uh, you're going to have a lot of kids. All right. So he, he said, OK, because he had faith that this is true. He believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing, the New Living Translation. Or he believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's clever, ESV. And then in the God, he believes in the God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do, the New English trans 
translation. And so this is so key for faith that can say God can do anything like save my soul and give me eternal life and establish and secure me in heaven. God can forgive all my sins, even though there's so many, and make me a new person based on who he is, his power and his divine nature. With this in view, everything else becomes a piece of cake and Abraham is able to not waver in his faith because this is the God who was revealed to him. He, he took this in. He wasn't knocking on wood or crossing his fingers or hoping. He knew the character and nature of God, so he knew that God could do what God has <laughs> promised there to do. And so Genesis 17, 5, back to your verses there, are, I point out, I have made you into a nation, and as I've been saying, it was before she even conceived, and both of them are thinking, wow. And here's the thing about I have made you a father of many nations. Before he's born, I have already done it. Where are they? Well, in God, when God says something, he's saying, I, are, I intend to do it. I wanted to do it. I've planned in the counsels of God to do it. Therefore, from my point of view, I've already done it. It's already going to happen the same way for you in your faith. When he raises you to new life, it says he calls you out of darkness into his light. He gives you life. He raises you up. You are saved. And then he says, and he seated you, past tense. He seated you in heaven. So from God's point of view, when God speaks concerning his intentions, he speaks in past tense. That is why it's so impossible to unravel anything good that he's done in your life. You can get in there and mess with things and make yourself real miserable on this planet, but you can't undo what God has already done. He has predestined you. He called you. He has justified you, and he has glorified you past tense. It's done and over. Now he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he says, I've made you the father of many nations. And he says, that's okay with me because I know that you are the God who calls dead things and make them alive. And if nothing exists, you can make something like the universe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. What does it say? By faith, we know that God spoke and made the universe out of nothing. So there was nothing here. He didn't have something to work with. There were some materials. He didn't have any tools. There was nothing. And God says, I want a universe. And everything within those universes came as well out of nothing. So, so Abraham's saying, this is the God I believe in. So when he says, hey, you guys are past your 100, she's 90, she couldn't have kids, but you know what? You're going to have uh, to buy some diaper soon. <laughs> They're like, well, if he's talking, well, then yes, we're going to start building a crib. We're going to light the candles. Turn on a little Etta James. The baby didn't fall from the sky, folks. <laughs> and Etta James would be an appropriate selection. At last. 
<laughs> I love everyone in the second and third rows. And <laughs> I lost my place. Surprise. <laughs> He's believing in a God that 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 says to a dead girl and everybody says laughs him to scorn because he says ah this isn't a problem I see it all the time you know <laughs> she's dead no she's dead yeah I know ah, she's actually just sleeping and they mock him and he goes everybody out get out get out and he goes little girl I say to you get up she's dead how can she get up she's dead she sits up and he says, fix her some lunch. You know, you got your kid back. You got some fish here. You got to sit down, have a little fish fry. You know, why? Because you're, t- you're dealing with a God with whom nothing is impossible. That's Jesus' words. Therefore, you're able to hope against hope. You can believe without wavering because it's not about the situation or your determination or the intensity of the desire. It's about the God on the other end whose power is infinite. Amen? Amen. So that's why when you sit down to a dinner and you set the table for 10,000 and you find out they've only delivered five fish and two loaves, that there's no problem. You're going to go ahead and he says, pass out the baskets. Pass out the baskets. Pass out. And they're like, oh, he's talking. Oh, it's him who by him all things were created and nothing exists without him and his word. That's what it says. Oh, so if you're telling me the table's set for 10,000, I only got a couple sardines. So guys, start passing them out. And as they obeyed, they're passing out and God's doing his thing, making the provision. And so here we go. I think you're catching on. Dead, <laughs> dead things, no problem. Things that don't exist yet, no problem. You know, plenty of impossible about your situation. Let me say one more thing before I go way too long, and I already did. Uh, building number two, back in 2005. Speaking of impossibilities, we were remodeling the downtown where it's Yerba Mate building now, right? We wanted to put a cross on it. So we went to the city, and the gal said, you want to put a cross? It's the first thing people are going to see when they drive into Sebastopol (laughs) is a cross. Absolutely not. You will never, never, never. It will be impossible for you to get a cross on that building. So we walked out. With that being the last word. We got in the car. Dave and I are both laughing. And I look at Dave. He's all beaming. And I say, Pastor Dave, did she use the word impossible? (laughs) And he said, yes, Pastor Ross. That's what we do. We joke around and call each other that. Um, Yes, she used the word impossible. I said, perfect. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And there was a fat, huge sign. Huge cross. We had to get a ladder and a hoist and everything because the next week we went in and we said, are you sure we can't get a cross up there? She said, absolutely, it's impossible. And then her boss, in one of the finest moments of my life, (laughs) her boss overheard the conversation and came out, dog, just kind of humbly, 
and said, actually, we don't have the right to, um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, limit. We, we don't have the right to limit religious symbols. And so I looked, I looked at Dave, and we, we just said, yeah, impossible. See, see, God loves it. When, when there's an impossibility, it goes, oh, perfect, right? And so that's really what's kind of spurring them on here. Now, I'm going to say this, and then we'll flip to the last point. It's really easy to have hope against hope, or I should say less complicated, when the revealed uh, word of God is staring right at you. So you know, he says, those who set your mind on me, perfect peace, you'll get it. You know, those who look to me, whatever you need, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. Done. I know about my physical need. Done. I can, I'll believe God. I mean, it's right there. I've got it. Here's the complication. What if it's not directly in the revealed will? How do I deal with that when it's a disease? When, when, when it's a uh, bankruptcy, that's a little bit easier. But, but when it's a job that you really, really want, or the only thing you've ever wanted is a spouse, and you know, you're 30, you're 31, you're 32, you're 33, you're 34, and you're a hope against hope, unwavering faith. You've got all the scriptures that says just believe, and it goes another way. That happens. This is my advice to you. If it's a good thing, if it's a thing you think that would bring you closer to God, and there's, would, would, you would enjoy, believe. Believe and hope against hope until you realize that God is doing something else. And then with the same faith, believe hope against hope for something beautiful to come out of it. Do you see? So nothing really changes except you understand God's will better. And you thought it may have been what you wanted, but it's actually more like what you needed, but didn't know. And so God is going to say, okay, keep that faith. Nothing has changed except the desire of your heart. Now, listen, your faith isn't to get what you want. This isn't the Christian life. Your faith is to get what God wants for you and will use in your life. Do you see? So we don't need to go crazy when suddenly we see, wow, this isn't, I had a thing. 12 years, I saw something coming. 12 years, God, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. I got all the scriptures without wavering. And it went 180 degrees the other way. And then I went, okay. I got this. Now I'm going to use the same faith, the same unwavering faith, and the same hope against all hope for how you're using this. And I'm going to change the direction of my praying, but not the intensity of my faith in God. Did not our Lord Jesus do this? He says, I have faith in you, but I want to avoid this next part. I don't want this next part. Take it away from me. Father, 
And trust me, God the Son, he has enough faith. So he believes in his heart that God can remove from him the thing he does not want to do. Take this cup from me. And then he says, and here's real faith. Here's what true faith is. But nevertheless, I have faith in you. Not what I desire, but what you want. Nevertheless, what you want and you allow. Then I have faith that there'll be something redemptive about that. And I'll start to pray through my way. And I have faith that you will walk me through something that, uh, something unpleasant, maybe. Or something disappointing. That's the way to handle it. Let's move on. All right. And so we've seen hoping against hope. And now let's see. Uh, not wavering in our faith. Please. See, that's the word. <laughs> when you say please, things happen. Without weakening in his faith, he faithed the fact that his body was as good as dead since he's about 100. Sarah, the same boat, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Let's talk about this because uh, in my Bible, and God knows we read the Bible, and he's not afraid of you checking him out, right? Because there were some hiccups along the way, and you could even say there were some minor waverings on both of their parts, but somehow, because of the grace of God, he does not count those hiccups against us. So let's look at this. He didn't waver, right? He faces that God is gracious because uh, Abraham's faith is less than perfect. I'm going to point that out to you without wavering, he says. And I'm really glad. I don't know how you are about this, but you can, with God's grace, you can still get an A on the test without achieving a perfect score. How many of you are happy that you can still get an A with God, though you don't get a perfect score? Are you happy about that? You don't look happy about it. (laughs) God is gracious. Okay, so both had their moments. Let's talk about Abraham first. Genesis 17, for about the fifth time, uh, Sarah uh, is going to be a mom. The Lord is speaking to him through a, a vision or a theophany of some such. Sarah's going to be a mom. She's going to be a mother of nations, man. You've got to picture 90 years old. They tried their whole lives. She's barren. She's going to be a mom, and kings are going to come through her. And uh, he falls on his face in Genesis 17, and he laughs, I love this, to himself. But God is like one giant MRI machine. You know, he just sees right straight through. You can laugh to yourself, do whatever you want. God sees what's going on. He says to himself, I'm 100, she's 90, come on. And this is what he says. Why can't we do this with Ishmael? Let's make it work. He's already born already. I signed the papers. He's my legal heir. Let's just do it. Let's forget about the whole thing, God, you know. And so the Lord has to say for the fifth time, let's go over this again. It's not Ishmael. It's, it's going to be a baby through Sarah's womb and going to be your son. So uh, just deal with it. And so he does. <laughs> so now let's go to Sarah. Uh, while on a separate occasion, Genesis 18, the Lord is talking to Abraham again about it. Because that's what he does. He reminds us along the way. He causes our hearts to hope on things. He reminds 
us all the time. You really are saved. You really are going to heaven. It is, really is by grace. He has to do this with us just like him. And he doesn't count the little hiccups along the way. Love it. So Sarah's listening. It says sort of she's eavesdropping behind the tent. And he says about this time next year, Sarah is going to be busy buying some huggies. All right. <laughs> now, she laughs to herself. Now that and she says this. Oh, really? Now that I'm old and all worn out, I'm at the end of my life, am I really going to get to have this pleasure? And the Lord goes to the husband, which he always will do. You go to the husband first, because that's who God looks to. What's up with Sarah laughing? Why did she, why did she laugh when she heard that, Abraham? I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? That, those are his words. I'm the Lord. I, I made the whole universe. I'm just going to help you guys have a baby. What's so hilarious about that? You know? And then he goes to her, and then he says, how come you laughed? And she says, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and then it says in the Bible, but she was lying. And then it says, and then it says, I didn't laugh. And then it says, but the Lord said, yeah, you did. <laughs> and then the chapter ends. I just love that. It's like, I didn't lie. You did too. I did not. You did too. The Lord is saying, you did too. Own up to it. <laughs> so then, when the baby's born, they name him Isaac, which means... Okay, I laughed. <laughs> That's exactly what it means. It means laughter. But we laughed with incredulity. I made that up. <laughs> we laughed because it was incredulous to us before. But now we're laughing with joy. And we want to be reminded that our God can do all of these things. Wow. And named him. Laughter, that's just beautiful. Now, one writer put it this way. Thankfully and graciously, God looks at the bent of our lives. It's not the occasional human vacillation that defines us, but the steady and prolonged obedience in the same direction. You see, he's not talking about the guy in James chapter 1 who says, uh, I'm a Christian today, I'm not a Christian tomorrow, I believe God today, I, I don't walk with God for six months, then I'm a Christian. He's not talking about that doubting. So he knows that all believers, including John the Baptist, who God called the greatest guy who ever lived, John got thrown into the, a Dungeon, and in that dungeon got depressed in that darkness. And he's like, I didn't picture my life ending this way. I mean, I introduced the, the Messiah. He's here. He's doing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's opening blind eyes. He's walking on the water. And I'm stuck here in a dungeon. So he gets some, some guys around him to visit him. And he says, and they're saying, he's raising the dead. Uh, he's cleansing lepers. He just took a walk on the lake. He didn't use the boat, you, you know. And, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to get my head chopped off. Can you ask him a question? Yeah, what do you want? Is he the one? You see, because this didn't add up. I didn't see life going this way. I've been praying, 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 quote, quote, quote. And I'm stuck in here. 
And they go and they say, hey, he's got a message. He said, you know, are, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That man is the greatest man who's ever lived. You see? He didn't rebuke him. He knows his heart. He knows the bent of his life. And grace and the cross are going to lift off of us that which is unseemingly and unbecoming of Christians. So he accommodates for the hiccups by saying he, they didn't waver in their faith. Down deep, uh, another definition of what wavering is here. God looks at our determined intention, the posture of our hearts, and our everyday mindset and choose and, and choices. And because of the cross of Christ, he can remove our imperfections. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, God can call King David a man after his own heart and describe Abraham as unwavering in his faith because for all intents and purposes, he was. He was. Isn't it nice to know that you can get an A on the test and not have to have a perfect score? And that's what it is about grace. So he did wave instead of waver. He, instead of weakening, now wrapping up, he was growing strong. I want to show you this because you do have a choice. So he says, it doesn't mean Abraham didn't have his moments of hesitation, but that he avoided a, listen, deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust and inconsistency in relationship to God and his promises. Do you see? I know a hundred people in my lifetime who let the doubt of the situation, the despair, the turn of events cause them to isolate. And instead of growing stronger in their faith, they were weakened. And where they are today, who knows? But not Abraham, because when you have genuine faith, genuine faith says, okay, I'm not going with the doubt. I'm not going to feed this way of thinking. Yes, the events have changed. Oh, but God hasn't. His love for me, his promise to work whatever this thing changed into something good. So I'm going to stay tracking. And how was he strengthened? Notice, you guys look at it. He didn't strengthen himself. It's passive. He put himself in prayerful postures of soft-heartedness so that God could strengthen him. So those five times where he had little hiccups, and God says, hey, let me go over this again. Look at the stars. You know, remember the stars? So every time you look at the stars, you'll remember the promise. Through the corrections, through fellowship with God's people, through reading the scriptures, our day to day, we've got home fellowship groups, we've got day, uh, Sunday worship We've got studying the Bible. These are the ways, instead of having your faith weakened, you can be strengthened. God can pour into you the corrections, the reminders. Remember this, remember that. But that doesn't happen when you isolate, you get despondent, and you start singing, woe is me, nobody knows <laughs> the troubles I've seen. You know, that's not Good. And so God strengthened him. So instead, and he gave glory to God. What does that mean? He went around talking about it. And so when God changed his name in Genesis 17 from exalted father, that was hard enough, I said last week, right? Exalted father, oh, you must have a lot of kids. Oh, well, actually, how many kids you got? 
None. <laughs> okay, but I'm changing my name. Oh, yeah, I can imagine why you'd want to do that to Abraham, father of a multitude. And they're like, why would you do that? Well, because do you have any kids now? No. But as many as the stars, that's going to be me. I'm going to be dad to all those stars. That's how many. Why? Because he believed in the God who could raise the dead and bring from nothing something. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the life of Abraham, the example. Now, Father, as we look to the point of the story is that these words aren't just written about Abraham, but they were written for us because we get saved the exact same way. Same God, same promise, same consequences of blessing and eternal life and being right with you. So we're thankful, God. Thank you for the challenging thoughts and the comfort we have received. And bless us as we remember your death on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.